so there's nothing wrong with thinking, right? Mm -hmm. But it's when we're stuck, when we're stuck in the thought and there's no awareness of it. There's so many factors, like even like the thought of time, you know, like time, I've got to get here a certain time and do this. And there's this attachment. You know, that's a big one. We've talked about that a bunch, Jess, you know, of attachments to things, to people, to timing. And I know that's connected to Yogi Triathlete as well, you know. Um, how do we watch these thoughts that can get so attached of like a time on a run or a bike ride? And um, for me personally, um, it's been in meditation, of course, with my eyes closed, no other stimulus coming in. And it's me and whatever arises in my experience. And many times it's thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> almost always it's thoughts. Oh, yes, almost always. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world, the very one that exists right now within you and within me. The change that we all dream to see in the world begins in this moment, in each moment moving forward. It's in our response to the world, it's in the power of surrender, and it's in the seeking of truth. But in order to fully be aligned with our truth, our power, and our freedom to respond, we first must be aware. Aware of how we move through the world, aware of when we are in the fight, aware of when we're in the bliss, and those lonely times when we find ourselves living under the guise of the ego. I could go on and on about the simple yet profound chain of events that lead to a better world, but all we need to know for now is that this moment is all we have. I'm certain that our guest today will agree, as meditation and mindfulness is her way of life. Megan Layton is a yoga instructor, certified mindfulness educator, retreat leader, and student of Ayurveda. She has spent the last several years working in school systems throughout Massachusetts and Rhode Island, implementing groundbreaking mindfulness programs for children. She's a part of our Costa Rica trio and the reason why our Costa Rica retreat exists. Meg's journey began 20 years ago when she started practicing meditation with absolutely no idea of the impact it would have on her life. As the benefits and shifts showed up, Meg's enthusiasm for the practice grew immensely, leading her to her purpose of sharing the teachings of yoga and meditation to others. I have a feeling we're going deep in this episode, so everybody needs to just slow down and take <laughs> it in. Um, you'll hear in Meg's voice, she is so present and so patient, and those are two qualities that if that's all you take away from today, start practicing those right now. But I do hope you take away a cavern of knowledge to share with your community and the world. Meg, my dear friend, welcome to the show. What an honor to be here. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, um, I thought about having you on the show for a while, right? And it just like the timing felt good. And so I always love to see what that timing brings, right? Like what this conversation will bring. And, and the three of us, what is unique uh, with the three of us, which is unique between our Costa Rica trio, me, you, and Valerie, is that we have all been trained in yoga under the same teachers, and we all work with meditator Bob. Bob. Mm -hmm. Bob, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. that could be fun to talk about. <laughs> yes. Your, your experience with meditator Bob. I was wondering if Bob was going to come up. Oh, yeah. He's already here. Yes. <laughs> Making his way into the car. No, that's so not him. <laughs> so not him. Yeah. Whoa. Take me off the big screen. Don't put me in it with all that energy. <laughs> um. So, you know, I love your, I love your story because I feel like you're a modern day Yogananda. Like you were in search of a guru. Like you were in search yes. of a guru. So why don't you take us through your, take us through your story. You've been meditating for a long time. And yeah. um, how did you even get there to start meditating? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, Eckhart Tolle was one of the first people who introduced me to the power of now. Um, I would listen to his CDs. I read his book, The Power of Now, um, Stillness Speaks. And he spoke a lot, of course, about presence. And my question was, okay, well, how? Because I felt, I, I kept watching my mind. I'm a teenager, 
you know, back in college, late high school. And I'm like, I, I can't, I want to get control of my mind. Like that was it. How that was a question I remember having. And, um, I found, I think it was gateways to presence from Eckhart Tolle. And I started uh, using his meditations. Um, before that, when I was in college, I was also introduced to Thich Nhat Hanh and his meditations, mindful eating, uh, mindful walking in a world religions course that I took at URI with Art Stein, who was amazing, the professor, I will never forget him. And uh, I was blown away. And I remember having, it was the first time in my life where I, I read an article written by Thich Nhat Hanh on the power of now. And it was the first time for about seven seconds, it was like clear mind. Like it, it felt like pure presence. And then all of a sudden my intellect started labeling it or judge that my ego is like, what, what is this? What, that was amazing. Oh my gosh, I want more. I want to, I want to learn more. Like, and I, you know, continued to read his article and to study, um, many of the different wisdom traditions, but later on, years later, I was reading all of these texts and listening to all these different teachers. And I noticed a ton of confusion of just like, I want to meditate, but my mind is trying to figure this out. You know, I'm feeling peace, but I thought I was my thoughts. Like I, I noticed a, a real um, identification with my thoughts. And it was kind of scary to take a step back to be like, wait a minute, I'm not my thoughts. And so it took time and it actually took me a few years to read the presence, uh, excuse me, the power of now for that reason. Cause I noticed this nervousness of like, what is this? And eventually Jess, you know, I, for a year or two was praying for a guru. Like I just had these questions. What is all this about? And Newport power yoga, I worked the desk and you were talking about Bob and something clicked. You had talked about him three or four times, you know, just here and there, just different blurbs. I think you had just met with him each day, you know, and it was fresh on your mind. And eventually it just hit me like it's time to reach out to him. It's time. And I was already familiar with Paramahansa Yogananda. And I was really looking for someone to guide me with those Kriya yoga techniques in particular, um, because of, I read autobiography of a yogi. I was chanting, you know, chanting Paramahansa Yogananda's chants. So I was looking for someone who was attuned to that. And he was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that whole lineage of teaching is what, what we are taught, right? Yogananda yes. and his teacher and his teacher all the way to, to Jesus. Yes. Who, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I always say that Jesus was a yogi. He studied, he studied meditation and, and, um, and whatever int interpretation people have of him, it doesn't really matter. I feel like the labels or the, the, the way that we categorize somebody like Jesus, it's just, it's whatever feels comfortable for us so that we can open to those teachings of love, right? So yes. my intent by saying that he was a yogi, that he studied meditation, which is actually, is truth, that he was in India um, and he studied, and we learned this from our meditation teacher, um, that, that that's what resonates with me is those teachings and that, that teaching yes. of love, which is essentially what his teaching was, was showing us how to love and to forgive. Yes, yeah. He was the pointer. He was the pointer and within the mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven within or presence or whatever word we want to use. Um, love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that in the interesting is that that even came up in our yoga teacher training because Philip would talk about, I mean, Philip, our yoga mentor is very passionate and he would be like, you know, even as they're pounding nails into your hand, you know, you, you can forgive, yeah. you can be yes. at peace. And, um, and that's, I think what, what meditation teaches us that we can be at peace no matter what. Yes. Yeah. Challenges, joys, like you mentioned in the beginning, amidst it all, how can we find that unwavering presence behind watching all of the changes, the ups and downs? And it takes practice. It yeah. takes practice with a mind that has been, for many people, 
ingrained and conditioned for fear, for distractions, and it's easy to get lost in all of that. As your, as your curiosity grew into awareness of thoughts, because Power of Now has no, I mean, you can't help but notice that <clears throat> you're not your thoughts. Like, I think it's in like the first few you know, pages. It's like, you're not your thoughts. Those around you, did you, your community, your close friends, family, did, did you have like an awakening that, that maybe, or how did that process go, basically? Like, were they like, what are you talking about? Or did you not even share any of that stuff with any of your family and friends as you were learning this? Yeah, I feel grateful and blessed to have had a mom who I was able to talk to about all these different spiritual things, which both of you know my mom, Carol. (laughs) And so she was a force on my journey of and continued journey, still is a force and presence of um, on this journey of like waking up to who we really are. And so I would share things with her all the time. I mean, we would talk about spirituality every, like every day. And I'm also my friend, Kristen, um, she introduced me to, she was like, Meg, you gotta watch Oprah and Eckhart. Uh, you gotta watch this. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And that's, she told me first, I taught with her at an elementary school. And, um, and, so, and so I was able to talk to her about it as well. But anybody else, you know, I didn't have a lot of other people to talk with. What about now? Now, oh gosh, after taking the yoga teacher training and I feel like I've got such a community and friends who are on the same path who I can talk to about any of this, you know, both of you included, uh, Val, my friend Amanda, um, and other, other yogis from from Newburyport here, the studio, um, and my sister, my mom, and my dad. My dad has become very open to all of this too. Um, and that's been cool to, to have those conversations. I remember I took the 12 day training, the last one with Philip and Renee about almost two years ago. My mom was away and I stayed at my parents' house because I was down in Rhode Island and it was just my dad and I there. And so I'd come home from the training and we would have these profound conversations every night. Conversations I had never had in my life about, um, about spirituality and like, are we, you know, all of this, are we our thoughts? How do we break through this identification of like my role? And just, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, my God, there's so many places I want to go, but I'm going to go to this place about the thoughts. How do you articulate to people that they're not their thoughts? Because like you, I was like, not only was I like, what? I'm not my thoughts, but like, how dare you tell me I'm not my thoughts. And I would get defensive about that because there was things that I thought that I liked that, you know, gave me good qualities that, you know, Mm. not seeing that who I was was separate from all of that uh, labeling, I guess you could say, or that thought life. So how do you articulate that to people? One of the clear ways is through metaphor. And for me, especially when I hear that my thoughts are like clouds, and I'm the awareness, I'm the sky watching the thoughts as they pass through. Or, you know, awareness is like a stream or river flowing and the thoughts are like a leaf kind of passing by. Um, When people, so there's nothing wrong with thinking, right? Mm -hmm. But it's when we're stuck, when we're stuck in the thought and there's no awareness of it. And, you know, even there's so many factors, like even like the thought of time, you know, like time, I've got to get here a certain time and do this. And, you know, and there's this attachment, you know, that's a big one. We've talked about that a bunch, Jess, you know, of attachments to things, to people, to timing. And I know that's connected to Yogi Triathlete as well, you know. Um, how do we watch these thoughts that can get so attached of like a time on a run or a bike ride? And um, for me personally, um, it's been in meditation, of course, with my eyes closed. No other stimulus coming in. 
And it's me and whatever arises in my experience. And many times it's thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Almost always it's thoughts. Uh, Yes. Almost always. (laughs) Yeah. So that that's where that's where (laughs) that's where the rubber meets the road when we you know, a lot of the people we work with, they're like, but I can't stop my thoughts. I can't like I I keep every time I sit quietly, it doesn't work. My thoughts jump in and they pull my attention away. And so we'd like to articulate it as every time you know that happens, you just pull yourself back to the moment through a mantra, through your breathing, through counting, through something that's happening now. But still, the next day will come up, and it's like, well, my thoughts took over again. I had a, I did not, and they judge it. I didn't have a good meditation. It wasn't a good meditation. Yes. Yeah. So, how does that cycle get broken, or how? <laughs> I know the answer, yeah. but how do you break that cycle? Yeah. To stay with it. You know, of course, it's uncomfortable. It's not always comfortable sitting in meditation. It's not always comfortable living this life we live as human beings, right? And it's so it's. Um, bringing, as you said, this kind awareness, kind for me is like patience of like, oh, this is here again, the same thought, you know, and just connected to neuroscience, scientists that study thoughts say, okay, three things, they're repetitive, they're negative, and they're useless. Like (laughs) most of the time, those, you know, and it's like, okay, so, but, and I do want to say, Thoughts can support us, of course, for planning. There's, it's not saying, okay, we can't plan for a time. We can't set a goal. Of course we can, you know. Um, but it's, it's what is our relationship to the goal or the thoughts? Is it I need this in order to be happy? Or can I hold it and watch it and say, oh, okay, here's the thought again. It's not me. It's a cloud passing through, and I welcome it, actually. Because the problem, I don't want to say problem, challenge is that I hear this quite a bit with people I work with in meditation, where it's like, I had a horrible meditation, I can't do it, you know, and it's, and I, I can't get rid of my thoughts. But that resistance, actually, what we resist persists. So if we could open up to it and welcome and it will naturally take its course, and then it might come up again, and that's okay. Can I open up and allow this again? What's a what's the quality that's under an ability to open up? Like, what do we I, I, need I, to do to like open? Yeah, the uh, the first thing that comes up for me is uh, equanimity and patience. So somebody says, I am hella far away from being, you know, experiencing equanimity and patience. Like, I'm not patient. Like, I'm not patient. I'm not a patient person, right? So somebody who identifies as that, but they're like, but I want to meditate. Um, yes. And you're saying words like equanimity and patience. How do they begin? And again, it's an identification with a label because I used to pride myself on being impatient because I thought if I was impatient enough, nobody would get in my way. They wouldn't interrupt me, and I could stay on task. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking True. of... <laughs> but I'm, like, remembering, like, high school years. Like, I read the paper. Like, what a dork. I'm, like, reading the paper and, like, drink, like choking down coffee because I thought I was something that I needed to be something other than I was. And, uh, and I remember, like, my mother would be like, good morning. I'd be like, ugh. You know, like that was just, oh, like now I have to pull my eyes away from the sentence and now I'm going to be off schedule. And so I used to identify as that. And now I'm somebody who I can just sit in that space and talk to the ego and be like, hey, I can do this all day long. I can bounce from thought to presence as long as you want, as long as you need me to do this, like I'm okay. Yes. But somebody who comes to you like that, how do you begin to... Not that they have to get rid of those labels because it will all happen on its own, but what, how do you get them started? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think first offering, it depends, the neuroscience, right? There's a ton of, okay, what are the benefits? What are all of these people, millions of people now practicing meditation 
and many of whom had struggled as well. Like, you're not alone in this. I as I also struggle sometimes in my own meditations, you know, and it's, um, so bringing some normalcy or normalizing it a bit, and then when you notice those thoughts of impatience or resistance, come back to come back to the breath. Notice it and come back to the if it or it's body awareness because the big thing is that we have a choice right in our meditation. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, focus on the breath, keep focusing. But it's like that also then can become rigid. Like so, and it depends. Everyone um, that I work with is is different in kind of how to gear them more onto a clear path and and um, and like sort of healthy relationship with their meditation practice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Did I answer? Yeah, I mean, I think you answered it with, you know, you when it's the awareness, right? I was talking about that in the in the intro. It's when you become aware of it, that's really where our freedom is. Like when you become aware of it, something that you don't desire anymore. But there's going to be that part of you that says, no, but being an impatient product equals being productive equals being this, being that, right? So there's an identification there. But if somebody says, hey, I've got all this neuroscience here that says this is going to actually drive me into a better direction, you know, and then we start to get, we get the intellect on board and the decision is made that I'm going to start meditating. And I think how you described it is perfect. Like when we notice we're in that fight, when we notice we're in that identification as something that no longer serves us, that we can pull our awareness away from that and onto something else, breath, body, something that's happening now. Yes. Yes, completely. And, you know, just going back to uh, attachments, you know, and also that, (sighs) okay, when we meditate in the beginning, it's like, okay, a minute for me, it was hard just to sit for one minute, you know, and then all of a sudden it got kind of easy, you know, maybe a couple of weeks went by and I was like, all right, I want to go to that space, that edge for the minds where it gets a little more challenging. So I'm going to extend it to five, 10, 20, and just gradually, but it's got to be, you know, our mantra every day over a little bit every day over a long period of time. Right? Oh, yeah. The listeners have never heard that. Yeah. They've never no, heard never. that before. They've never <laughs> heard that from us. Never on the show. I've got your tank with it. I love, I love <laughs> oh, those yeah, tanks. that's right. You do. Yes. <laughs> I wear it at least once a week. Perfect. All right. Get that message out there. I yes. love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, so a little bit every day. But the athlete's mind, and this is, you know, very um, committed very dedicated, they think more is better. So I'm going to start my meditation practice. I'm going to do, you know, 30 minutes a day. And they start off and of course, success, right? Success at the beginning, right? 30 minutes every day. And then that day happens where 30 minutes doesn't happen. And the negotiation (laughs) steps in and it's not a negotiation as far as like, I'm going to do five minutes today or 10 minutes. It's going to be like, I'm not doing anything today. I'll start again tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and now momentum is actually moving in the other direction, and now it's two yes. days that you skip, and then it keeps moving and moving. Then Monday happens, right? Monday, let's start again. The sacred Monday. Monday, or the first of the month, <laughs> or the first of the year. <laughs> I'm going to start 30 oh, minutes 1st. again. Ah, let's just bag it. I'm gonna, we'll go and I'm not going to do 30 minutes January 1st. I'm going to do 60 minutes starting January 1st, oh, right? Yes, yeah, so can you see big this? expectations. Yeah, so how do, yes. how do we reel it back? How do you get back to like, how, how come one minute's enough? How comes five minutes is enough? Yeah, you know, and I think having someone where you can talk to about these, whether it's a teacher like each of you, you know, and um, mindset coaches where you can touch base every week or every other week, or friends, just like checking in if, if listeners... Um, have a friend who also meditates, just like checking in, like, hey, I'm I'm gonna set a goal for I'm gonna start back up tomorrow, 30 minutes. I'll text you later on tomorrow and let you know that I did it. Just to hold each other accountable. Of course, Bob, I feel it's been so helpful to have him in my life as someone who's I feel accountable to. You know, I feel um, 
it's a commitment to myself, to my own spiritual growth, and also to him and the energy and work that he's put in um, in our sessions. Yeah, he's no joke. Like, he is nobody that you want to waste his time. No, <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. Not at all. All right, let's talk a little Not bit all. about that experience. So, you know, this, you just told the story that you actually had heard about meditate. We call him Meditator Bob. Um, I don't know why, but we've called him Meditator Bob for a while. Uh, That's how he's in my phone. Medi- yeah, he's in my phone. He's, <laughs> because, uh, yeah. he's in my journal as MB. MB said this. Um, but that was recent. I think it was actually when we were in Costa Rica that you told me that story. I never knew that you heard of him through like through my yoga classes, which is just, it's, yeah. I just love how messaging gets to us. You know, yes. it's, I don't take credit for it. I was just the messenger for that. Um, but what was your experience like? Like when you, when you walked in, you had been praying for a guru. Did you know it was yes. him? Like, what was that like? Cause you didn't see him in person, did you? It was always remote. Yes. Okay. It was always on Zoom. Yep. And well, you and I would chat before class when I would register people beforehand. And you would talk about Bob sometimes, and Valerie was there. And then I ended up asking, oh, you know, can I have his number? Could I text him and just see? So the first time was on Zoom. And um, he, of course, went through like what he offers, his background and experience. And as soon as he started talking about Kriya Yoga or Paramahansa Yogananda, I was like, okay, there's something, there's something here. Yeah. And we just right off, right off the bat had a connection. I felt like I could trust him. Yeah. Even just from the first hour. Did he ever, has he ever said anything to you? Like he knew you were coming or uh, anything yeah. like that? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That you. He did. He actually said, I was waiting. Like, this, um, something like, it's been nine years and coming. Like, I, like, was, <laughs> it was almost like, I don't know, I just li- didn't listen to the call or something for nine years, then finally. <laughs> You're like, decline call, <laughs> decline call, decline. <laughs> Like, I'll pick it up. Screen call. What? <laughs> Here's your guru. Decline. Decline. That's interesting. Yeah. When I walked, because I saw him in person when I walked in, he literally looked at me. I went to a group meditation. Was my first. I went to some group meditations um, back in end of 2010. And when I walked in, I just remember him looking at me from across the room and saying something like, "I've been waiting for you." Yes. And I was like, oh, geez, like, what the hell? And literally, like, <laughs> sat in the circle, and I was like, how long is this meditation going to be? Like, these people look legit. <laughs> you and I was like, okay, back to eighth grade, when I would just hate my civics class, and I would just count to 60, 60 times. That's what I did. But what I didn't realize I was doing was that was like a mantra. Yes. Right? I was just counting, because I was like, holy crap, I got to save face here. These guys know what they're doing, you know? It was like a whole group of people. I didn't know how long we were going to be there, and that drove my mind crazy. Mm-hmm. It might even have been yes. like 90 minutes. It was, it was long. But I was like, yeah, I'll go to this group thing. Why not? I got nothing going on Saturday morning. <laughs> 90 minutes later, like, what did I get into? Like, oh, my God, I think my leg is <gasps> <Holy> broken. Cow. <laughs> you know, that's another thing, Jess, in terms of people meditate and then come off meditating with other people especially in the beginning is helpful you know to strengthen that awareness and uh, concentration with other people because that's the foundation for meditation yeah what do you think that your experience with working with meditator bob like what has that opened you to oh my gosh <laughs> uh, this is like so um, like a greater experiences of like joy and wholeness than I've ever experienced in him pointing, pointing, because of course all of our teachers are the pointer. They're not the actual goal. The goal is within us. And so, um, and there was some time in the beginning where I was like, oh, I'd show up late to class. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can meet today, Bob, you know. And then it was almost like I wonder if I was avoiding it or something. Um, and then 
a couple years in, I was like, whoa, I started to notice some real changes and started to take it more seriously um, because of these shifts. And it was around um, understanding the energetic aspects, the, the spiritual aspects of that I'm not just this body, you know, um, that I, of course, I'm not these thoughts. And then um, learning about the deeper teachings of, of Jesus and um, how they related to our higher mind, really, in essence, like living our life connected to source or our higher self. Um, and when I read, because I would go to church every Sunday, every Sunday, like especially through my teens, through college, after, and and I was also, and then I started also meeting with Bob. And then understanding and experiencing the deeper aspects of uh, Jesus' teachings. Uh, and I could go into that here, but that's uh, that's pretty deep. Uh-huh. <laughs> One Let's of them go. in particular. Let's go. Buckle up. Yeah, you know, like, for example, when <laughs> Nicodemus meets, yeah, meets with Jesus and asks him, you know, um, when Jesus says we have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? How can I be, I be more born of a mother again? And he said, no, of the, of the spirit, of the higher self, of the higher mind. But, but it's, in, it's in meditation. It's in, it's clearing the obstacles, right? That's what yoga is. We're clearing the obstacles out. It's always here. It's always inside of us, that connection to source, love, light, peace, calm. But there are obstacles that get in the way of that experience. And so Bob has trained me through pranayama, breathwork techniques, which breath, of course, is connected to prana, life force energy, and it's also connected to thoughts. So when we change our pattern of breathing, we can also change our thoughts and support a more calm mind. Um, Along with... Did uh, Bella just fall off the bed? You know, I know. I think she got up and hit the guitar case (laughs) accidentally. She's okay. She's okay. She's now laying on the couch. Yeah, she's representing the ego here, saying, uh, you've gone a little too deep in this episode. (laughs) We got to pull it back. We got to start talking about paces and, you know, the real important stuff like heart rate data. No, (laughs) I'm kidding. No, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. going. This is good. Yeah. Um. Along with Ayurveda, you know, him and Dottie knows quite a bit about Ayurveda and the science of life and looking at how can we match our own routines with that of the earth and the rhythms of the earth and the sun. To me, that was like, like, yeah, okay, I want to do that. Why wouldn't I? I'm a part of nature. I'm a part of the earth as well. And if I can sync up my own routine, and as I have, I feel the best I've ever felt in my life. I feel more energy, clarity, um, physically, mentally. I, I just feel my optimal self. And so much is attributed to Bob and his teachings. Yeah. Tell me about your study of Ayurveda. Tell, what is Ayurveda? Let's, let's start there. Sure. Yeah, Ayurveda, so when you break it down, the science of life, and it looks at the elements, fire, water, earth, air, ether. And all of these elements are inside all of us. But we each have a dosha or constitution, which is more, more like an imbalance. So for example, I'm earth and water, so it's pretty sticky, like mud can be heavy. That's my um, prominent. I'm also pitta or fire. So on both of those, which I have to watch in particular. So for example, heavy foods coming in, like bread, <laughs> sweets, which of course I love, you know, <laughs> it's like, ooh, you know, will really slow me down. And it's easier to gain weight, you know, where someone who might have a vata constitution, which is air, ether, um, they might not gain weight as easily as a kapha like me. Um, you know, so it's things like that. Also particular foods, because of course food also has energy. It's this subtle energy that can impact our own body, mind, spirit. And how can I eat 
based on my kapha dosha, dosha, um, uh, dosha, so that I feel more aligned. I feel um, vitality, you know, rather than lethargy. Because I was a big, like, growing up pizza eater. I really didn't have a ton of discipline. French fry, you know, like, and the, all of that was like kapha, you know? And I was overweight for most of my early life. It wasn't until I started to understand these um, tools that I found some real eye-opening information and, and higher ways of living. Um, spe- speak to a bit about the fire constitution. I think about our athletes that, you know, we are, there's always inflammation going on either after a workout or something that's chronic happening in the body. And that fire element, if we're eating, you know, foods that increase that fire element, how, what kind of effect would that have on inflammation or recovery? Yeah. Inflammation is heat, and if we have a diet that is filled with spicy foods, even hot temperature foods, alcohol, coffee, and caffeine coming in, all of these um, are pitta dominant. So if that's coming into the system, it's going to create more inflammation and more fire. So there might, and if someone is a pitta dosha or fire, um, then also they could feel more angry. You know, that's also an uh, emotion shows up as heat in the body. So they're more likely to be sensitive to, you know, or the news just, or, you know, road rage or whatever, more likely where it's like, oh, you know, uh, my husband is pitta. So Asa, he's fire and he goes to an Ayurvedic doctor. We have these conversations and um, he's read books and things, but, um, so he really has been watching in terms of really clean, like salads, lighter meals, um, lots of water, just watching the coffee intake, um, and things like that. Yep. That's what the fire has to do. And your fire, your fire earth, right? And yes. I was, I was working with somebody who similar, they, it was, it was Vata Pitta. So it was the air and the ether and then the fire, which has got to be a very aggravating combination because the vata drives the pitta crazy. And he said, oh, don't worry, don't worry about the numbers. Cause so you guys, you take these quizzes, um, and it will tell you what your Mm. primary dosha is. And so we'll link one up in the show notes for people that they can take and they can find out what their dosha is. And he said, oh, don't worry what the numbers are with that vata pitta. Pitta will always win always win. Yes. It will always yes. take, even if, so let's say the number was like uh, 15 vata and like 12 pitta. He said that pitta, well, that fire, if not watched, will always rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it you, overrides it. do you feel that with your earth fire combo? Yeah, I definitely, last time I went to, not the last time I would say Oh, gosh, maybe three times ago. It it was the first time in person I met with her, so it was actually years ago. But um, I met with the Ayurvedic doctor, and she said, your pitta is off. Your fire's off. And so she had me change some foods. Uh, I also took herbs, and then I went back and checked in with her. So it is advanced. I mean, there's so much to learn. And I'm, of course, not a doctor or an expert, but it's, I've been studying it for four or five years and going to a doctor, Ayurvedic doctor, and just getting a sense of, okay, you know what, a little bit each day, you know, for example, things like um, just ice and water, which I learned, which I'm like, what? Because I really do love water with ice, you know, on hot days, it's like, but it creates toxins or acne in the body. And um, it's really not that great. And, you know, if you, I thought about it, I'm like, when I traveled to Europe, uh, and even when you go to India and all the other places in Asia, it's like they don't put ice in drinks. Like for some, whatever, you know, we do here, and that's fine. But it's like, I don't think a lot of people know that, hey, actually it can create imbalance. Yeah, it can, um, the ice, that was one thing that I woke up to too, is I started to eat more for my dosha, the fire dosha, which is the ice will actually, it traps the heat. Like you would think that, oh, the colder the drink, the better, because that will cool the fire, but it actually will trap the heat in and it will aggravate it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, I need some of that fire. Yeah. Do you have any coffee questions? I, I know that I need coffee and I need um, <laughs> my peanut butter and bananas. Like, mm-hmm. I need that. Yes. No, I don't need it. Um, but yeah, I need a little get. I need a little uh, to get me going. Um, but I guess it's curious because you could look at that at, at some things. I guess what you're passionate about or what you're in aligned with. It, some things become so natural. Like to get up and get out and get on a workout is no problem for me. Like not, no problem. So easy. Yes. But but that's something I've created a habit around, right? It's become a habit. It's become a habit. So yes. so the very way I can create a habit that says um, I must have peanut butter in the morning, right? Like I must have it. Like that's that's how I get things going. Is it true or not? I don't know. Like it, it is right now because I created that belief. And so to circle back to what we believe, right, our thoughts, like we can convince ourselves of anything we want. And what we crave isn't necessarily good for us. So like I crave salt. Salt's not that great for fire. It's terrible, actually. I've got my Ayurvedic book right here, and I'm going to look up. Well, Meg, you might know. What about peanuts or peanut butter for kapha? That feels heavy to me. Yeah, it's not. not I don't believe it's recommended, nor almond butter. Cause, only because Ace has gone off of the, all of that. Mm. He is doing cashew butter, though. I think she said that's okay. But one other thing, too, that um, I wanted to mention, which I appreciate in Ayurveda, is that 80% of the time, eat based on your dosha, you know, routine. And, and then you've got that 20%. So maybe it is one day where it's um, some almond butter or whatever it is that comes in and then go up. But then it's that taking that, having that discipline then the next day, right, to go back on and say, okay, now I'm going to get back into my routine again. Yes, and some people, looping it back to athletes too, because I like to pull that in, it's like all or nothing. It's like, no, I, I don't even want to have that one day because if I have that one day, then I don't have the self-regulation to get back on the train. So I'd rather not even bring yes. it in um, to the to the house, like just deprive myself of it, and that causes a whole nother set of um, feelings or urges that say, once you can't have something, you pretty much want to get get it. You want it, yes. Yeah. What we resist persists, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, that's you know that's self regulation. I think it's it's really like a denial of how powerful we are, right? It's a it's a lack of recognizing that we actually are really powerful to make a choice to, um, you know, live in a way that supports our constitution, supports our desires, our dreams. We are also as powerful to make the choice to live in the opposite direction of those things. So to say, well, I'm just never going to have, I'm not going to have trips for 45 days. Well, what happens on day 46? You know, it's like your feet are sticking out of the bag, a bag of ruffles. Um, That deprivation doesn't work. I don't think. What do you think about yeah. deprivation or like the, I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes for 30 days. And what have you seen with things yeah. like that? Kind of this, like BJ yeah. said, the all or nothing. Sure. Those extremes, <laughs> and I'll just talk personally, you know, don't last. They, it doesn't work. Like it's where it's like, I'm going to go with, and I used to do this. I'm going to cleanse for two weeks and, and yeah, I would feel good. And then I go right back to eating junk. Well, not junk, but not great, you know? And then it's like, okay, so what is all this for? Like, what is this for? And um, one thing also that came up when you said that was um, that Ayurveda, what I love about it is that it's a lifestyle. It's not a diet. You know, it, it's a lifestyle choice of choosing the times I wake up to meditate or wake up in the morning to when I exercise, to the foods that I eat. Yeah. And and not setting, you know, another thing that we can see, and we see this a lot with athletes too. I mean, think about it: training for an Ironman triathlon is no joke. You got to swim, you got to bike, you got to run, you got to recover, you got to fuel, you got to prep your meal, you got to. And then, recover. if you have a family or a children or a spouse or a partner, a job that you know pays for it, a car that needs an oil change, sometimes it can feel like a lot. Um, so, as far as like from this medicine of Ayurveda. How do we work with that, like, a full life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you've got, like you said, a family and you're, um, 
you know, exercise regimen and work and um, little bits, little bits. So um, it might be connected to Ayurveda, um, just starting, just take ice out of the water, you know, just for the next few weeks and just see, you know, see what happens then. And um, and then all of a sudden, you know, take one food, food to avoid that's on the list to avoid. See if you could take that out for a few weeks, you know, just gradual because it's, it's so important to take one and go slow and steady. Cause if we're like, all right, I'm taking 10 on this week, you know, and it's like, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, kids and all this not going to shop different. And it's like, that doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Cause the whole, it's interesting. You say like, take the ice out of the water. Like how would ice out of the water help me not feel overwhelmed? <laughs> Because the overwhelm <laughs> is is what is the overwhelm? What would be the, the quality like the of lack the lack of the lack of power over the ice has power? You're basically saying I can't use ice. I no, no, that they're overwhelmed in their life. Like they've got no time. I've got no time. Now you're telling me I need to meditate. And, and a lot of that overwhelm is in the mind. But also we don't want to set ourselves up for a a stressful life, right? But there are the basics. Children, if you want to do an Ironman, you got to train, like spouse, partner, whatever, friends. Um, But something as simple as taking the ice out of the water is going to help to balance those qualities within you, which actually will help you move through a full day more balanced. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I would say. Well, back to the power. It's taking your power back. Meaning that you don't need the ice in the water to to drink. Like you always have that belief that I need I need cold water. Like always ice. Well, now you're you've become sort of like you know that that has power over you. You need the ice in order to drink the water. But now if you can choose and say I don't need the ice. Like it's supposedly it's better for me. Like for my dosha, I shouldn't have any. Now you've actually chosen not to have it. So haven't you taken back a little bit of? (laughs) confidence and power and um, belief that you can get yourself to where you want to go. Yes. Yeah, totally. Totally. And there are also alternatives. You know, it's like maybe you start to put cucumber in your water, like something really delicious, like a couple slices of fruit or something. Um, You know, of course, I loved pasta and wheat is not good for my dosha. And so I get black bean pasta, protein pasta, and um, I I can eat that. Mm. So it's looking for alternatives as well. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the work you did uh, in schools. Um, maybe it's the, you worked a bit with Inward Bound. I just remember this story you told me, which was so cool. I think we were talking about deprivation. I think we were talking about like maybe a habit that's not great and how do we move through that. And you were telling me about this really cool thing where there were teens that would smoke and you guys would like, tell, tell us that story. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've been on, oh gosh, maybe seven or 18 retreats. Um, and they take place with Inward Bound Mindfulness and Education. They take place now online. Um, but pre-COVID, they were all over the country. I went to the one in California and then here in Massachusetts and we would have 40 to 50 teens from all over the country who would practice mindfulness. So we would um, wake up in the morning in silence and go um, right into some movement and meditation and walking meditation in the morning. Um, but really, the whole I had never experienced anything so authentic, like the, the staff that I worked with and how they could hold and even the teens, like um, this is flowering of getting to know their personalities and how comfortable they would be by the end of their retreat. And it's just in the way that Ivy Me has structured um, each day. And because it's, it's silence in the first part of the day, but then the second part is workshop. So there is time to talk and connect. And then of course we have a dance party in one of the last nights and we've, and some of the workshops are like dance workshops, like, um, but you know, and some of the teens would smoke, you know, they were smokers and, and we would say, that's okay. You know, that's okay. You're going to smoke. A mentor staff would go out and be with them but would guide them with mindfulness of smoking to see if, like, well, really taste it. 
you know, like taste it. What is that? How does it feel when you're blowing it out? You know, what is it? And so just building some inquiry about it. So it's not like this is wrong and nothing. That's what I love about this practice, right? It's like we're not fixing anything. We're just opening up and, and A, accepting, you know, um, ourselves. And then in this moment or that experience, it was with the teens, um, just as they are. And then asking some questions and guiding them to their own experience. Mm. So some it was really powerful. I, I know. I just love that. You know, and it reminds me of the story that you recently talked about when um, you and Val and I were on the phone about in the documentary Awake. And one of Yogananda's um, students said to him, well, you know, I like to go to Vegas and I like to drink and I like women. And like, what do I do about that? Because I'm meditating now. And Yogananda was like, it's fine. Keep Keep meditating. And what you will find is that those less desirable habits will fall away. Yes. So somebody that says like, oh, I drink too much beer or, you know, I hear that a lot. Like I drink too much beer or I shouldn't eat this or I shouldn't do that. Or how do you guide somebody like that? Who's kind of like, they're in this like, they, it's clear that they don't want to do it, but it's clear that there's a part of them that still enjoys it but they're kind of measuring themselves up saying, well, this isn't what another person does, so this is probably bad. How do you guide them? Yeah, because, you know, it's tricky because it's like even socially, right? It, there's, you have that connection of you're out with friends, you grab a meal, and then everybody else is drinking, but I don't want to drink, what do I do? Or at home or something if you have people over. And um, the first thing that comes up for me is like alternatives, and I, I can just speak like um, Asa actually because – of course, with his pizza dosha, that fire is not good, as I mentioned earlier. And he found his athletic brewing mm-hmm. company. It's a so beer and there's good. no, yeah, and it's so tasty. So, you know, on the weekend, um, he'll have one of those instead. Um, and I've tried one as well. And I, I think they're really good. Um, so the first thing is like, well, looking at alternatives that you, that you enjoy. Uh, and... I just going back to Yogananda's words, just like keep going and going to the practice, like keep, keep meditating, you know, keep going within because then things just will start to fall away. Seek first your higher mind, you know, that's always there, that, that calm. And then everything else will come unto you. Everything else will start. And I, you know, it's easier said than done, of course, it's a, but um, just from my own experience, I've noticed it for myself. It's like, um, from, and I know it's from meditation, where I, I've made that commitment of every morning and every afternoon I meditate. And this has been for years. And slowly, things have fallen away in my life, and it just naturally happened. You know, I, I was a big drinker, for sure, in college and even post-college. You know, and um, I had partners who we drank quite a bit together, you know, and that has all fallen away. But just like naturally, it wasn't like today I'm going to stop, you know, Um, and smoking. I was a big smoker uh, through high school and college. Um, My whole family, we would all, they'd have Christmas parties. We're all smoking, you know. (laughs) Probably not outside. And we all have quit since, of course. We've all quit. Um. I remember telling my girlfriend, I was like, when I graduate from college, I'm quitting. And I did. I did. But I think meditation definitely had a part in it. Like, I just started to change my vibration. Well, that's what it does. Vibration, the meditation will change your vibration because you're getting in touch with your inner vibration. The one that's sustaining it all. It's sustaining your days of overwhelm. It's sustaining your hard efforts at the race. It's sustaining your moments of sadness. It's sustaining your moments of bliss. There's a, there's a, a foundation in there that is a really high vibration. And when we sit and do nothing, when we literally stop and sit, we begin to, to get in touch with that. And that's so powerful that it, begins to, I remember Philip used this word once, like it has more robustness in your life. And I just love that. Well, that's, isn't that the challenge is to be still and quiet with yourself and the uncomfortableness of 
the stillness, right? Um, and that study, just to bring up that study. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I was listening to a podcast, and I guess in 2014 they did a, a study, and I'm going to you know, not have all the details, but we can link to it here. But basically they put a bunch of people in the room, and they gave them, you know, some people things to think about um, when they're in the room, and some people who uh, just had to go into the room and, and sit there. And they got feedback, and I think 50% of them were like, ah, it was all right, it was, you know, whatever. Like, I thought about basketball or I thought about whatever. And then they took it a step further, and they said, well, we're going to put you in the room now, um, and we're not going to give you any cues to think about. We're just, you're just going to have to sit there quietly, but we're going to put in this um, electric shock, um, low-level electric shock opportunity, and you can shock yourself if you choose to, low-level um, and which would what opt you out of having to sit? It would just occupy your time from not sitting still quietly oh, with okay. yourself. And most of them chose to give themselves a shock, even though before the study started, when they asked the question, "Would you, you know, would you want electric shock therapy or or no?" All of them said all of them said no. So when they're in the room by themselves, given the opportunity to sit still and quiet, they would rather still give themselves a low level shock to occupy their time than to be still with their thoughts. Yes. It's pretty powerful. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. You know, how uncomfortable it can be to be with ourselves sometimes. And I, from personal experience, like my first silent retreat, um, I was in the middle of nowhere in New York with like 85 people I didn't know. I didn't have my car and no phone. And it's, and I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, what am I doing? And it was the first 24 hours, it was fight or flight in my nervous system. Because it was just like, ah, if I wanted to leave here, I don't know how. And I don't know. You know, it's just the survival instincts. And it was super uncomfortable. And we were meditating together. You know, which is even more uncomfortable. So now I have to close my eyes. You asked me to close my eyes. And there's no other distractions. Okay, maybe if I had a... What is that called? The electric shock thing? What is it? Electric shock? <laughs> Maybe I would have. I don't know. <laughs> Something. Okay. No, but yeah, you know, it's uncomfortable at first. And then um, it took me about 24 hours for my first retreat. And I started to drop in. But um, I, when I say drop in, like kind of just drop in, my nervous system felt more calm. And... It would, of course, my mind, I would just watch. There was no other distractions. There was no eye contact, no reading, no writing, no phone, no TV. Um, just them guiding us to meditation. And then we would have free time in the afternoon. And that was the toughest time for me. Mm. Because I'm like, what? What? What am I going to do? The mind is so trained to do. And that was my first thing. There's nothing to do. And then I started to notice that. And I just noticed by probably like day two or three that like the present moment started to lead the way and all of a sudden I just found myself lying on my back in the garden watching butterflies <laughs> like just like and and having subtle moments of bliss like there were only a few seconds in nature with nothing no other distractions you know and it was um and then of course the mind would come in like oh my gosh that was amazing <laughs> You know, then you're like, ah, you know? not in. There goes the bliss, right? As soon as you realize yes, you're in it, it's gone. Yeah, the moment you yeah. realize some, something happened. I can't articulate it. I, there's no words for it, but something happened in meditation the other day, and then my mind got a hold of something amazing that was happening, and um, mm. and I was like, oh, and there it goes. And then you yeah. watch that need to want to get it back quickly. Mm. Yes. Get it. And then the next meditation, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, here's the next meditation. It's just me, and it's just like normal. Where's that cool thing that happened last night where the breath yeah. and, yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. So let's say somebody is listening to this and they're like, okay, I'm not ready to meditate. Like, I'm just not ready to meditate. What can I do? What can I do? If, I, if I'm just got a hard line, like I'm just not ready to sit, for the million excuses that are available to, to not do that, what can they start to do that would help them in those shifts to having a little more peace and calm? 
I would say to clear out maybe one distraction. For example, if those of you listening, if you're a runner, which, you know, many of you I know are, <laughs> uh, running, if you listen to earbuds or music, try one run a week with no earbud, no music, and feel your feet as you run or feel the wind on your skin. Of course, that's a moving meditation. And then see how you feel after. It could be walking on your days off, you know, a break day, and you go for a walk and it's just you and nothing else. There's no phone, no music, feeling your feet as you walk. Could start there. And what happens when it gets really uncomfortable and, the, and I have packed my headphones and my phone just in case this uncomfortable moment happened. So instead of grabbing those, if they're like, no, I'm going to stay with it. Yes. Yes, that's the magic moment. Ooh. So what do we do in the magic moment? <laughs> the magic moment, right? And it's like, that's the awareness. That's the consciousness where it's like, oh, I'm aware of the thought that I need this to be happy right now. And now you have a choice. So just witnessing the thought, you're now aware so before, you may have been stuck in a thought and impulse right to your hand, to the phone, or whatever it is. So notice the thoughts or impulses, and now you've got a choice. You could, sure, okay, you want to listen to music. Then maybe you sit under a tree and listen to the space in between each of the sounds. If, you, if, if that's your goal, if you want to start to really train your mind, you can do it anywhere. You can do it anywhere, in any moment, but it, it takes patience with yourself. And, you know, I, I love the, the term mental hygiene, you know, because we exercise for the body. Of course, we brush our teeth. We do all these things for the body. We take a shower. But then it's the mind, right? How are we bringing alertness? But it's already here, right? It's already here. But the mind, we're training it for distraction when we're out in the world. So how are we going to tune it up? Right? Bob talks about this a lot. We get out of tune. And so to tune up, we come back to this moment now. And it could even be in listening to a song and the space in between the song. And then eventually clear that out and see if you can come back and you don't need that. Because that's what we're going for, really, eventually, is that you don't need anything. And just, just like that message from Yogananda, the cool thing about it is that that first moment that you realize, like, oh, my gosh, I have a choice to grab the to go plug in now. I tried the runs five minutes in. I just can't do it. But you're recognizing all this, this noise and everything, and you've got the choice. Well, once you see that you have a choice, like I just trust the power of being mindful so much, and I trust the power of meditation <laughs> so much because I've seen it so many times, including in my own life experience, that if you just keep noticing that choice, whether you put the earbuds in or not, there's going to be a day that you say, you know what, I'm going to stay with it. And then there's going to be a day that you say, well, I'm at my turnaround point on my run. So what if I just sat for five minutes? I'll pause my watch. And then there'll be a day where you go, I'm going to sit for five minutes and I'm not going to pause my watch knowing that it's going to affect my pace that I'm going to upload to my, okay, I'm going to go there today. All right. This is very uncomfortable. Um, but I just trust that, that part of us that gains more robustness, the awareness piece that just start somewhere because eventually you know, yeah. we're all going to the same place. Like we're all, we're all waking up. Yes. So just start yes. somewhere. Yes. And as you were saying that, um, just, you know, when we do make that choice of, you know what, I'm not going to listen to music and I'm just going to run at the end. That's, that's a celebration, right? It's really important to honor and celebrate the moments when you make that choice for your own mind and body and soak it in. Because so many times we're like, all right, I didn't listen. Okay, that was great. Now next, I'm in the house and I'm going to make dinner and I'm going to stretch. And then, and there's no pause to recognize that like, you just made a really powerful decision. And it might not seem that way, but you said to your mind, no, I'm just going to do one thing right now. And that, that's really hard to do, but you did it. And you did it anyway. Yeah. I love it.
It's powerful. I with the guy in our yoga class this morning, struggling, and then I talked to him afterwards, and he wanted to leave three times because he wasn't flexible, wasn't stretching, it was hurting, and <clears throat> thing kept going in his mind of like, just be here now, just be, just this breath, you know, this just this moment. And he made it through the class, and he was, and I was trying to talk to him, but he was trying to diminish the success of it. But you got to celebrate them. Many small wins, many small wins. Michael Phelps. You know, amazing uh, Olympic swimmer. That, that's one of the things that he just kept uh, kept doing. Many small wins every single day. How many small wins can and they just stack up and stack up and stack up and stack up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's something to that. Um, amazing. Thank, Thank you, Megan. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I, I know that there's, you know, a Grand Canyon worth of wisdom in there and we didn't even begin to scrape the surface. But for those who are listening, who are coming on the Costa Rica retreat, as I said in the intro, Meg is one of our, one of the trio, Valerie, who's actually been on the podcast a couple times already. Um, she is also, and we are brewing something else up. We're carrying momentum. And so we are, we're coming together actually Saturday to, chat about what's next. So be looking for something. We're feeling something in the fall of 2022. So if you missed out on Costa Rica, stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you, Meg. You're amazing. Thank you both. I feel like I could talk to you. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. Like, was it last Saturday? I was like, yeah, I talked to the girls. BJ's like, how long was that? I'm like, I don't know. I think we were on the phone for like two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. We do. There's only a certain amount of, there's only a few people that I can go that deep with, Mm. you know? So thank you so much for going deep with us. I know the listeners are going to appreciate it. There's definitely some seekers in here that, you know, want more, 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 more. So thank you so much. Thank you both.